So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Welcome back to Drink in the Movies. Today we're doing our year in review podcast for 2019. How are you feeling? Nervous? Excited? Yeah. A little bit of both. Questions? Uh, like you, I feel like I'm Kevin and I spilt the full chili pot uh, after making it up the stairs with it. Um, I feel like we were this close and now we're about to mess it all up because 1 through 50 has some great entries and we're only talking about 10. I know. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and look at it and be like, what? What? Why did I do that? Where was the lighthouse? Nowhere. It was nowhere. I don't think that would make any appearance (laughs) on any of our lists. Top Um, tens or sidebars, right? I don't think so. And it doesn't feel nice. That's true of a good number of films this year. That are good. A good segue into uh our thoughts on the year overall mm-hmm. um whether or not we thought this was a particularly good year for movies um what's your knee-jerk reaction did you think 2019 was a good year it's the best year i've spent going to the cinemas which is as much as we do now um like as far as being an adult and going to the theater i can't think of a better year i've had i really enjoyed entries um like, I enjoyed the top entry more out of other years, but this year's, like, middle of the road, like, four through ten legitimate contenders is the strongest I've ever experienced. How about you? I agree. I think it was a pretty good year. I could honestly just as easily give you uh, a different ten than the ones I'm going to list today. It'd be just fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um if we did this a week from now, especially after we rewatch some of them, I think they would shift around a great deal. Um, and we both haven't seen 1917. You still have a, to get to Little Women. I still have not seen Little Women. I still haven't seen La Flor, the Argentinian film, 14 Hours. I heard it's Why, not a film, though. You do, oh, you do not think it's a film? No, no. I, I heard that it's what you do before you die. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, that could yeah, be. Yeah. Um. There are a handful of others. Um, I've seen uh, the film Give Me Liberty on a handful of lists that I think looks pretty interesting. Um, there's one called Genesis that I think looks really cool. There's one called The Chambermaid that looks pretty interesting. Yes, we meant to get to that and we just didn't get to it. And then technically Liberté was this year. Um, right, yeah. So, and we still haven't had the pleasure of seeing that. Docs. I don't think I've seen as many docs this year. Um, I'm particularly interested in the hottest August, which I think we're going to get to uh, in the next couple weeks when that comes out. Um, I think I I feel less equipped to say whether or not it was a good year for docs because there are still a handful that I need to see, including ones that will be on your list. Yeah, I think it was a good year, but um, the staggered release of a lot of these is getting in the way. The the small release windows and not circulating them in any capacity to people that are making their lists. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, 
present perfect was a selection on the film spotting podcast that uh tasha josh and adam hadn't heard about Mm -hmm. before nor did they get a chance to see nor can anyone see it so that's kind of the type of year we're talking about docs yeah um i don't know if you have any like this off the top of your head um one question when we make lists is always whether or not to include like undistributed films that people Mm -hmm. just can't get their hands on yes um one that i included on my list at the mid-year point was the short film altiplano um which we also talked about Mm -hmm. um on a separate episode if i recall correctly um easily still one of my favorite pieces of cinema for the year hands down it's my number Um, 17 i've just limited the list today to narrative features but um you know, it's always worth calling out the undistributed stuff because that's how they end up getting distribution. Yeah. Um, so I would uh, shout out to, to that one for sure. Um, uh, any other uh, thoughts on the year? Well, it, it was, I, I don't even know where to begin. It was a great year in film and we have a bunch of titles to get to and a bunch of titles we're not going to get to. Um, if we're going to plug a few things that we're not going to be talking about today, um, I won't get the chance to talk about the Watchmen, um, limited series, perhaps recurring. Um, we don't know yet on HBO. Um, one of the greatest experiences I've had cinematically was a television series this year. Um, we'll get to some other stuff. Also, I won't get to mention Legion or the now canceled the Romanoffs fantastic experiences go have them i like it uh on the note of movie going for the year the only other thought i had was that i i do feel particularly grateful to live in a place that has as many independent theaters as we do because seven of the ten movies on my list um i saw on a big screen only thanks to the independent theaters they Mm -hmm. didn't come to the local chains um same with two of the three docs on my list um so hopefully these all find you know uh digital releases and whatnot for people to see yeah nice home yeah uh but in terms of um ones that i will not get to mention today one that comes to mind is peterloo mike Mm. lee's film peterloo uh which is available for streaming for free on prime right now it is highly recommended came out much earlier in the year um made a little bit of, of a comeback on some lists but um not in definitely a huge niche way. lists yeah it was on the new york times list oh was it okay um um and i'll throw out another one because it was really close it was uh dark waters by mm. todd haynes um which we just covered very good film as well um shall we talk about what we were most excited to see going into the yeah let's fess up to our bad taste but let's get there so uh at the beginning of the year we gave our top films that we were anticipating of the year uh we definitely floundered a little bit in our expectations particularly me um so let's let's start with number 10 what do you have michael my number 10 most anticipated film of 2019 was ari aster's midsummer which is a movie I still really like. Um, did not quite make the cut for my top 10. It's in the top 25. Um, available now. I still recommend it. I second that. And my number 10 is Gemini Man. 
And quickly, it's so good, but also it's so bad. And um, you should see it to believe how awkward and fumbling, but also neat it is. If you're interested in a nice, flashy, quick cinematic experience where you might turn your brain off. Do you think it'll still be worth seeing at home if you have to watch it in the standard format or whatever? If you have a 4K TV, I think it's probably worth it, especially if you have a higher end one. If you're watching it on 1080p, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. It might have some weird HDR reduction stuff. Yeah. All right. Your number nine. My number nine was Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale, a film which I, I did like. Um, it is not on any of my lists, but uh, one I would um, happily revisit and maybe get more out of. Yep. I barely didn't pivot and put it in my top ten. Just barely. I love that movie. Uh, my number nine is A Hidden Life. Damn. That was a good pick I had. That's right. Which, yeah, as I think about it, we haven't been mentioning that one um as we've been talking about our list i don't think that's going to come up either will it it's not going to come up that is in my top 25 for sure it's in my top 14 (laughs) it's pretty good my number eight is alex ross perry's her smell Ew. also would be on a top 10 on another day it's in the top 15 top 20 for sure um very good movie well made streaming now bothersome in a good way oh it's aggravating no doubt yeah it's masterful how annoyed i got uh all right my number eight it was little women and greta is dominant um in the future though i want more passion in her stories i want more uh guttural humanity less spielberg prestige Mm -hmm. um i i really want to hear her singular voice a little bit more. And I understand it was adapted, so some stuff got lost. I really liked it, but I do have a lot more criticism than other people that liked it. So this is someone who gives it a 94 saying, Boo! Be better. <laughs> Little Women is still a blind spot for me. I tried and failed twice to see Little Women. Once I made it to the theater, traffic was bad. I asked the guy, how many minutes into the movie is it? He said it's five to ten minutes. I couldn't do it. Oof. I walked away. That hurts. That does hurt. Did you see something else? No. I went home. Oh. <laughs> sad story. Very sad. <laughs> End of the episode. <laughs> Big bummer. Um, yeah. No little women yet for me. Uh, my number seven did end up making my top ten. So I will hold off on talking about that one. What's your number seven? My number seven is Domino from Brian De Palma. Did you see this? I did see this. Tears gush from my face. I saw this. Um, It was just so close to being not bad. It was just a, a few tweaks here and a don't mess all of that whole section up there. And it would have not been bad. It wouldn't have been good either, but it would not have been bad. And, um, yeah, we'll talk about the Palma a little bit more later. But this was a disappointment. Have not seen Domino. This doesn't seem to be a unique opinion. So, yeah, I it's currently streaming it. on Netflix if you would like to watch. It. Oh, I didn't know that. All right. 
Number six. My number six is James Gray's Ad Astra, a film I liked, and I think it's in my top 25. Um, and I think it'll come up uh, a little later on a couple of your lists. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be mentioned later. There you go. What's your number six? My number six is something we will be talking about later as well. So on to your number five. My number five was Gaspar Noe's Climax, um, which I saw in the theater, liked. Um, it's probably probably my top three or four of ones I'd like to revisit, but um, not going to be in my top ten today. What is your number five? My number five is a movie I will be talking about later. Your number four. We're being very secretive here. <laughs> my number four is Kalik Allah's documentary, Black Mother. I think we split on, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly. Yes. But I also did not love. It's not on my top docs list. Um, I, I did think it was an interesting film, and there were some things I liked about it. But um, um, overall, um, maybe a little a little bit of a disappointment. I like the photography. I did not like the um, the fact that it's long and not still images. I didn't like that it's a moving picture, is what I should say. that's a a big criticism (laughs) yeah yeah, i mean maybe in small installments of like three minutes with a certain specific character with you know on the island and that but i didn't appreciate all of it being connected together the way it was seemed uh anyways my number four is a previous entry you had at astra we'll be talking about it a little bit later uh your number three michael my number three is peter strickland's in Fabric, which I saw during the Seattle International Film Festival. I don't think this ever got a theatrical release, but it it's did now not. on VOD. Uh, yeah, and with I like director's movie. cut. Oh, I didn't know that. I believe there's um, supposed to be a third story or something that's been added in. Uh, it's a cool movie. Um, I would recommend it. Yeah, I watched the first half. Oh, you did? And I meant to bailed? get back to it. No, oh. I just, you know... Went to bed, never picked it back up. I've still got the note of where I left off in the film um, on my computer. More to waiting come. to finish it. And now that there's a doc uh, or a director's cut, I'm probably just going to restart when I've, whenever I can get a copy of that. So uh, my number three is The Lighthouse, which is a fascinating, intelligent, wonderful film to experience in a theater. But it didn't make me swoon. And it's not in my top 20. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a good pick. Um, I love what Eggers does. I love watching Eggers. Um, that just speaks to how strong the year was more than anything. And, um, how, uh, you know, maybe just didn't get me. I'm right there with you. Um, not quite in my top 25, but, uh, I still liked it. Yeah. What's your number two? My number two is on my top ten list, so I'll hold off. Back to you. My number two, I believe, is on your top ten list. More to come. We'll return. Okay, it is? Which one are you pointing to? Hmm? Oh, yeah. Good call. So your number one. My number one is also on my top ten list. Ooh, my number one is not on my top ten list, nor is it on almost anyone's top ten list. 
my number one was Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat. And I am disappointed by the film. However, I really like that that got made and that he wanted to make that and the follow through. Like, it's like when you see a home run hitter just put too much mustard and hit a foul ball. You know, I'm very appreciative of the power that he put into it, the cast that he assembled, the lunatic performances that I got to witness and enjoy, um, the the effort to have the conversation about what the film is, is you know, about for humanity. I, I guess it's somewhat political, but it's not. I just l- appreciate the swing. It disappointed, but, you know, Steven Soderbergh will be right back and he'll you know, hit another home run and we'll all forget about it. And remember behind the candelabra. He's probably already got something cooking. Oh yeah. And if he doesn't, then his alter ego as an editor, I'm sure does. Yeah. Rebecca something. Um, no, Rebecca I believe it's Blunt. Marianne something. I think you're thinking of the, uh, the screenwriter? Of, a, of a different, yeah. They all, yeah. <laughs> and then he has a cinematographer pseudonym. All right. Those were the films that we were most excited about going into 2019. Some were disappointments, some we'll talk about later, um, but uh, it's time to segue into now we start. what we actually saw. Now and... we're doing it. Um, so we're going to go through numbers 10 through 6 in this episode, and then next episode, 5 through 1. Um, to get us started off, though, we do our specialty categories, and as always, we lead off with Wounded Soldiers. Michael, what's your Wounded Soldier of the Year? My wounded soldier, which we've come to loosely define a little bit, something that we think was um, unfairly critically maligned or did not do well at the box office or didn't even get seen or was just plain underseen. Oh, the dead don't die anymore than you or I. They're just ghosts inside dreams. Of a life that we don't know. Um, my wounded soldier was not warmly received by many, and that is Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. Ooh, I don't even like that movie. I know. I think we... Sam Van Holgren's movie of the year, though. I'm, I'm right there with Sam on this one. Um, the most significant complaint i think was that it was just heavy-handed which i would not disagree with um but i think it is really funny i think the cast is great bill murray tilda swinton caleb landry jones chloe sevigny adam driver i like the repetition the meta elements can be a little eye-rolling but um i i think a lot of the dialogue is 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 pretty amusing um, I'm just kind of interested to see in the long run as, uh, climate change becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger problem, uh, uh, how the genre of climate horror kind of evolves. Um, and this one being an entry into that sort of a horror comedy, I think just, um, piques my interest. And I think there is something a little distasteful about how it feels like kind of a shrug, about um, the environment in a way. Um, but uh, I also think it's about um, the little things that we have to enjoy while we do have our time on Earth. 
um, like music and cars and movies like Night of the Living Dead. And um, experiences with people. 100%. Um, but you were not as big of a fan. I was not, but I also would disagree with your own criticism of it shrugging a little mm. bit. Like, I I think that if you really get into the meta stuff going on, it's not a shrug that's happening. It's just individuals in the film that are shrugging. But I don't think that that speaks for Jermush's authorial or autorial voice um, about his complex emotions regarding it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I'm with you. Um, I think that was maybe the kind of complaint that I heard was that it was just a little um, flippant about it or something like that. But I'm with you. I think, yeah, yeah, those that's what he is frustrated about. Yeah. People are flippant. Yeah. It's like Six Underground. It's an extremely complex auteur argument against climate change. Wow. (laughs) For another day. And it's it's built on dead bodies. Whoa. (laughs) Blew my mind. (laughs) Uh, Six Underground. Would that have qualified? I thought it might be on your list. I didn't even think I'm about sure it. it. Would meet the criteria, Metacritic wise. Well, I, I'm not doing it. I'm sticking to my guns, and my guns are for Wounded Soldier of the Year, a stand-up comedy special from Canadian import to Britain. I was the only child in the world who believed my mother when she said, they're just jealous, Catherine. I was like, girl, I know. (laughs) They could have victimized any girl in the school, but they chose me. (laughs) And one other girl with a cleft palate and one leg, but we were the Kim and Kanye of the fourth grade. Catherine Ryan and her stand-up special is called Glitter Room. It's on Netflix. It has not been released in theaters, obviously. It doesn't even have a Metacritic score. It doesn't even have a Rotten Tomatoes score. In fact, on Metacritic, it's not even listed. So this squeaks in viably because no critics interacted with it almost at all. I think I saw four reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. All four of them were in the shape of a tomato, not a smashed one. So people like it, but not enough people have seen it. I would absolutely urge everybody to guffaw with her she might challenge your own politics but she does it in such a snarky uh clever poignant um eloquent and elegant way that you're just gonna have a great time going along with the ride going along with the ride as she explains to you how fancy her daughter is and that living with a with a seven-year-old british daughter is basically like living with a little butler. (laughs) Or she'll explain to you how men are like dolphins. They're great on holiday. That's pretty good. I'll I'll leave it to her to to deliver the rest, (laughs) but it's, I love it. I love it so much. On to your number 10. Yeah, so that's a wounded soldier. It's like a paratrooper whose backpack gets stuck and never even jumps into the conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to get her off that plane and, and into the dialogue, into the discourse. Yeah, please. All right. Now we are switching gears, starting with our number 10 films of the year. My number 10. Kapong Gamdogun Hong Sang Suigo. is Hotel by the River, a South Korean film by Hong Sang-soo. 
This came out here in Seattle around April. Um, I actually have a good number of movies on my list who came out that came out in like March, April, because mm-hmm. um, I think it was a strong year for yeah. foreign films um, that came out around that time. Uh, it's the it kind of has the feel of a short story to me. Um, it is, I think, mm-hmm. the uh, one of the smallest films on my list in a way. I would agree. Um, it is uh, set in South Korea. It's about an elderly poet. Um, who's taken up residence in a Riverside hotel and has gotten the inexplicable feeling that he um, might die despite not feeling particularly sick or ill. And so he invites his two grown sons to um, visit him in this hotel. Meanwhile, another resident of the hotel is a young woman who is sort of seeking refuge from a vaguely defined, but um, what we gather is maybe uh, abusive or... Um, unhealthy relationship, mm-hmm. and she's joined by a friend to keep her company. Close friend or confidant. Yes. Um, and um, I think this is considerably um, more somber than most of Hong Sang Soo's other films, um, but I still think it is a um, slightly funny film in a very dry sort of way. Um, I'm just kind of taken with the the general feel of it. It's pretty darn accessible, even though I think there mm-hmm. are some some heavy themes as this guy is kind of contemplating his mortality. And to me, it's partly about um, him having uh, not been a uh, particularly great father to his kids. He was, we gather that he um, was um, an absent father and his uh, efforts to maybe redeem himself and these... Um, in this day that we see him spend with his kids are almost kind of laughably bad. Um, and I think there's some humor to it, but I think it's also um, really kind of a sad little um, uh, relationship drama in a way. Yeah. Three things I would say quickly. <clears throat> I don't agree. It's a short story. I think it's a short story anthology because I think that there's a lot of branches off of the, like their own independent short stories, like giving the stuffed animals to the boys Um, And having to repeat the same thing when the taller son comes back inside. Um, The experience of just sitting in a a room alone with the girl before her friend joins her. Um, The magnetic opening that it has where I I thought I was just going to start it, pause it, and then go do something else to make food. But it started and then I sat down and didn't get up because it was so magnetic. Mm. Um, So I I agree it feels like a short story, but to me it feels like... um, a short story anthology because it has a it has a point it's making but it also has all these stories along the way that make their own points um hmm. and i think it's very self-reflexive um oh yeah that's and, not and i, him, I yeah. think that um that your list might have more than one entry that oh, is of sure. that that nature um so i think we might be picking up a, a small pattern in yours definitely um to me uh that his that has been one kind of theme of the year is I think there's been a good handful of films that are kind of about artists, uh, you know, in acts of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, or reflecting on the thing they love mm-hmm. abstractly. Um, yeah, more to come on that. Um, but uh, that's my number 10, Hotel by the River. It's a good movie and I'm glad I watched it. My number 10 is a tie. And this is where Cheater. we get into Taylor using the lens format uh, instead of movies. 
So the movie that is tied with a television episode. I don't like doing things with so many question marks everywhere. There's a lot of imbeciles out there. Is dragged across concrete. Uh, Craig Zoller's brutal gangster film that is a, as sprawling and as epic as any piece of literature written by Shakespeare, but totally of the times and much more brutal. But I think um, it, it has a lot of cultural criticism um, caked into it, just like we, we see in Shakespeare plays. Um, and that is tied with... This is an endless war. What you're about to do is crossing a line. That's a little late for that, don't you think? Uh, episode of Mr. Robot that I dubbed Gangster Shakespeare, uh, which is episode seven in season four, which is called Proxy Authentication Required. It's um, an episode that essentially takes place in... Um, three locations, a hallway and two rooms. Um, it's in an apartment building or hotel room. You, you can't quite tell. There's three gangsters, Elliot and a therapist. And the lighting, the acting, the dialogue um, is simply some of the best of the year. And there's a lot of single episodes in that final season that deserve attention. This is just my personal favorite. I haven't seen the episode, but I have seen Dragged Across Concrete. It was on my list at the mid-year point. I would just as happily swap it in to my list today. Um, definitely, I think it might be my favorite title of the year. Some, there's nothing like, that is brutal imagery, um, but I like how evocative it is. Um, yeah, interesting reception to this film. You know, I think a lot of people found it to be just too kind of reactionary or mm -hmm. controlling, and I, I think I totally get that. To me, it was... Um, uh, just as easily read as a movie about how um, uh, capitalism pits people against each other yeah. um, and how ugly that can be. Um, but also the ending is dope. It is. Um, yeah, I think it's a good pick. I think that I, I think that that cultural criticism doesn't land with the ending quite. I'd have to rewatch the movie and then go read what other people say, but I, I definitely had a different interpretation of the uh, who succeeds at the end of the film, mm. we'll say. Um, so we are now on to The Squanderings. Why don't you lead us off with your squandered actor of the year? All right. I have an actor and an actress, as you do as mm -hmm. well, that uh, I particularly like whose potential I thought was squandered this year for each of these. I have a film of theirs that I saw and did not care for and a film that they did that I had no interest in seeing. It was very disappointed that that's what they put out this year. Um, we'll start with actress. Sure. My squandered actress of the year was Jessica Chastain. Mm. Um, I think, I think I you misspoke. I, I think you meant years. Years. Burn. What does that mean? Oh, she's been messing up for a couple of years oh, now. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Um, uh, Woman walks ahead. I think it was twenty seventeen. Big mess. Indie. Yeah, yeah. I um, 
one of my favorite Jessica Chastain performances is in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, I really like her in Tree of Life. I think she's um, an actress I really, really respond to. And one movie I really, really did not respond well to was It Chapter Two. Um, Neither of us did. That uh, was really um, that really squandered a good number of actors in that mm-hmm. movie. Um, uh, that was uh, a big bummer. Um, and another movie she did this year that, um, you would have to have, like, probably given me some money to go see, which was Dark Phoenix, which I gather most people did not enjoy. It was a very Um, bad movie. I think that's my worst, that's one of five movies that I gave half a star to that came out this year. Like, it's bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would just like her, I'd like to see her, uh, return to work with, uh, some uh, better directors. J.C. Chandor? Yes, um, which is, there's rumors that there is a sequel in the works, right? Of Mm -hmm. a most violent year. Um, I would not complain. I think she'd also be a great match for, um, boy, now his name just left me as soon as I said, I think she'd be a great match for. uh, Alien Nation guy, made Midnight Special. I always talk about him. America. Jeff Nichols? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wait. Was she... Was she in Take Shelter? Yeah, she was with Michael yeah. Shannon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd love to I see her reteam and, and do something grounded like that. Absolutely. What about you? Who is your squandered actress? Some things don't change. And just like in June when we did our halfway episode, it's still Vera Farmiga. It's just been a rough year for her with her Godzilla movie and the um, the movie with John Goodman that we reviewed for the show in February. Captive State. Yes. Yeah, she's just putting back-to-back-to-back-to-back bad movies together, and I'd love to see her accidentally fall onto a Greta Gerwig, Ari Aster, Corey Finley casting call sheet and see what happens. Yeah, I uh, do like her in um, The Conjuring, the very first Mm -hmm. Conjuring. Um, Me too. So, yeah, you mentioned Ari Aster in one of his, you know, horrific family horror movies. Uh, yeah, she would fit right in. Yeah, give her some Tony Collette goodness. Yeah. All your right. favorite actor. Or, I mean, your most squandered actor. Oh, definitely not right my now. favorite. <laughs> but isn't he, though? My, the actor I thought was um, particularly squandered this year, among others, I don't know that there was any real obvious choice this year for me, was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Um, one film I saw him in was Velvet Buzzsaw from Dave which he was Gilroy. great in. Fantastic I film, fantastic performance. I don't particularly love manic Jake Gyllenhaal. I prefer the um, subtler registers, like in Wildlife. Um, you know, this is a little bit more like what he did in Okja, mm-hmm. um, which I just don't particularly care for. I kind of wish you would ditch that. Uh, uh, those kinds of roles um, and the other film of his that I did not want to see was uh, Spider-Man Homecoming which he was great um, in he might have been fine in it good movie. totally possible um, you know I'm just always going to be a little bit bummed when actors or actresses that I particularly like get sucked up into the, the machine that I don't have that much interested in watching the mouse uh, machine you mean that's right um, Florence is our latest loss. 
I know. That's a bummer to me. I think that happened with Brie Larson for me. I like Brie Larson. Um, she, she was actually kind of close. Um, but I think I might like um, Captain Marvel. So, I hmm. don't know. Those are my squandered actors, or squandered actor and actress. My squandered actor is Liam Neeson, who was in a remake of a great film from Sweden. I believe I do not recall the name of it now, uh, but it was basically called citizen of the year in direct translation. Um, and that movie in America is called cold pursuit. Um, he proceeded to be in men in black three. Um, and he's in another film that I've not seen that I believe is like 87 minutes long and not really coming out from what it looks like. Um, as a supporting actor, Liam Neeson is an Oscar-worthy performer. He is the uh, doe that made Sorsese create greatness. He's assisted Spielberg make greatness. He's helped Nolan make greatness. He is a fantastic actor. He was the uh, preceding Keanu Reeves action character that kind of led this tidal wave that now has John Wick after John Wick after John Wick and Atomic Blonde with Taken. Uh, he's a very multifaceted and I want him to make more projects um, that we see Adam Driver making. You know, I, I want him to um, to be in more artistic projects and less of these money makers that... Um, he seems to just have friends, uh, certain production companies that tell him, Hey, you want to do this thing? It'll be fun. It'll be this long. You won't have to leave home or something. And he's there and he does those. I want, uh, I want award contending Liam Neeson back. I won't argue with that one. We on to our number nines. We are on to number nine. What do you got? My number nine film of the year is. ¿Qué haces aquí? Tengo que hablar contigo. 32 años me ha costado reconciliarme con esta película. Pain and Glory from Pedro Almodovar, starring Antonio Banderas, um, who plays a filmmaker who has a curious resemblance to Almodovar himself, both in look and his profession. He, uh, Banderas plays a filmmaker um, in a bit of a creative rut um also dealing with some physical maladies um mm -hmm. who is in um uh, uh a stage of self-reflection looking back on um his own filmmaking career as well as his um youth and his relationship with his mother and his own um sexuality um he takes up a uh drug addict as he becomes reacquainted with the star of um, one of his earlier works that is um, being restored or being um, recirculated. I forget mm -hmm. what the specifics are. Um, Antonio, I think it's an anniversary. That could be. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think it's, they might uh, be doing some slight restorations, but I believe it was an anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll talk about Antonio Banderas um, a little bit later in one of our sidebars, he'll talk a little bit more about the direction, which, you know, it's typical for Almodovar to have these really colorful, richly designed 
movies. Uh, this definitely checks those boxes. I think it's um, just uh, gorgeous in its production design and its costumes, particularly um, Antonio Vanderas' character, um, which I read are like, you know, a lot of Almodovar's own clothes, which I think is kind of funny. Um, uh, I think it's uh, a really emotional movie about a guy... Um, uh, thinking about his life's work and what he's achieved and what he still wants to achieve and how he can tap back into, you know, his creative instincts. Um, I was uh, really moved by the story of his relationship with his mother. I think Penelope Cruz is great. Um, I think what the ending ultimately tells us about what we've seen um, in all of our scenes with Penelope Cruz is really lovely and... Um, uh, I love the uh, story about his youth and um, the scene of uh, him having kind of a pivotal moment where he's attracted to um, another man for what, you know, seems like the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely one of my scenes of the year. Um, yeah, I just thought it was uh, gorgeous and emotionally moving and well acted and it checks all the boxes for me. It has two of my favorite scenes of the year. Um, not any that you mentioned, though. Um, I could easily put Antonio Banderas in my top three actors. Um, I'm really glad that he had the chance to really big body perform again. You know, we'd kind of relegated him to boring movies and as a voice actor and, and to see this resurgence late in his career with a film that I've already talked about on this episode, The Laundromat, where he gets to play a great character. This, I, I've seen him have a few others. I think that, you know, in in the brief stretch from like 2007, Shrek, Puss in Boots, Delegation to about 2017, he wasn't putting out much work that was being interacted with, at least in America. Um, I was a really big fan of Automata. Um, but that's not something that many people watched and is kind of considered B-genre sci-fi. Um, but yeah, no, it's a great pick. And I support that. Uh, my number nine is also a film about a man who is reflecting on himself and also the nature of his work and his position and all sorts of things. And that film is called... And cut right there. Good work. I want to drop some of the shots. Why? Because it isn't working. Because my client isn't happy. Because the whole concept is ridiculous. You are Don Quixote. It's your concept. It's your vision. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. From Terry Gilliam. Starring Jonathan Price and Adam Driver. Or starring Adam Driver and Jonathan Price. It's hard to give an order there. Um... This is a film that breaks the fourth wall seamlessly and continuously. At one point, he goes into the village where he had originally shot his student film, Don Quixote, and begins having a conversation in all Spanish with the bartender, asking him if he remembers when he was here to shoot the film. And there's subtitles on the screen. And then Adam Driver says, we don't need these anymore, and swipes his hand on the bar counter where the subtitles are, scattering them to the ground, and the film instantly switches to English. This is a lovely film. This is a great comedy. It is a great adventure story. It's a great reflection on life. 
it's a beautiful way to adapt a novel, which is very hard to do in this film, especially um, if you know anything about the story of Terry adapting it, it took over 20 years. Um, the, this is um, what, this is a film that for me is like what my dreams are made of. This is the imagination. This is the adventure. This is the spirituality. This is the um, grunginess. This is the, the zest and the lust for life. And it, I love it. Was a long journey before it finally hit our screens. It was. Uh, one I still need to catch up with. I think it's on Amazon Prime now, right? No, it's for rental uh, it's almost rental. everywhere. But I don't believe that there's any streaming access. And I can't imagine that after Amazon ditched distribution that Terry would ever allow them to pick it up for Prime streaming. At least not to be the first ones. It doesn't seem like the quick, the type to quickly forgive. From what I gather. I, I think that he might, if it was more amicable, mm. I think that this situation might make it less amicable. It's a good pick. One I still need to see. Uh, your path back to excellence. Who do you have that needs to get on the path back to excellence? Is it someone who's already excellent? Is it someone who's already at the peak of their game? It's questionable. The person, this can be an actor, actress, director, any below-the-line crew member who we think maybe stumbled this year, didn't have a great year. So you picked a gaffer. Like to see, um, get back to the top of their game. My pick is Steven Soderbergh. Is that painful? Does that hurt? A little bit? <sighs> it feels like I'm the Wicked like I'm Witch of the West you. and I just got water flicked on my forehead. All right, bring it. To be fair, I did not actively dislike High Flying Bird. I don't know that I have as much of a bone to pick with that one as I do with the laundromat, but the thing that they have in common and that I really think you should ditch is the iPhone. I just do not care for the the iPhone cinematography. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My favorite Film of his remains, uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotaped, probably followed by uh, Side Effects, and maybe um, Behind the Candelabra. Um, I'd kind of like him to return to something a little more um, human-focused. Um, these feel The Laundromat in particular feels particularly gimmicky, mm-hmm. um, and across the two, I just do not think ever since he picked up the iPhone that these films are, for me, all that appealing to look at. Um and uh, I'd say that yeah. he made a movie that Burns adapted while Burns was making a movie. So so to me, I, I'm a little bit more quick to think that maybe um, those Burns adaptations worked best when Burns was on the set and, inter- and like seeing what Stephen was getting and then adapting the screenplay as they go a little bit um, to try to hem it together more. Because to me, it feels like he wasn't there. I, I don't know if you got that sense at all, but I definitely got the impression that he just wasn't there. That could be. Time. I don't know that I'll handicap it for that. I mean, everybody, you know, makes their films however they make them. We only yeah. we only get the final product. But I, um, I, so I guess like, so you don't mention Aaron Brockovich. You don't mention Ocean's Eleven. I like Ocean's Eleven for sure. Okay. Um, and that would look terrible on an iPhone. 
Um, no, no, you, you were saying like three of your favorite, and I was just wondering. So, like, oh, yeah, w- yeah. what is it that you did? You like Aaron Brockovich? Did you like Ocean's Eleven? It's been a long time since I've seen Aaron Brockovich. Oh, probably be okay. up there. Um, but because um, you said human focused, and to me, that's yeah. like his biggest human focused film. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's nothing that is anywhere as intimate or feeling so private as sexualized and videotape. That is like what that movie is about is these people's like desires and mm-hmm. um, their sexual desires. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he's come anywhere even remotely close to that level of interest in human intimacy as that film. Um, but I haven't seen all this filmography. I haven't seen things like the limey. I haven't seen um, out of out sight. Of sight. Um, you know, I'm not a Soderbergh um, aficionado. You're not a um, Soderboy. It's correct. Um, and he's partly on here because, like, I don't really doubt that he's going to make something again that I love. I just feel like um, he's doing something right now that I don't like. And I kind of wish he would knock it off and get back to the stuff that I do like. So I guess two questions. On saying you both didn't like the cinematography for it and didn't think was intimate. Um, I liked I liked Unsane Okay. I, I I don't think the iPhone really um, uh, looks as good there as he thinks it does. Um, but I, I like that movie. Okay, it works a little. It's it's okay because it's kind of a genre piece to me. Yeah. I don't. I think High Flying Bird is a little bit more personal. And you know, talking about the lives of these basketball players, I don't think the artifice of the iPhone camera there does them any favors. Um, and I just don't enjoy looking at it it just it just does not look good to me i wish i would have chosen sean baker pick up the iphone again <laughs> oh yeah you see i mean sean baker you know you know maybe did it there because he kind of had to and i think he made it look great he wasn't trying to call it i don't think he was trying to call attention to it as an iphone movie whereas i think soderbergh kind of does um finding the angles that are as conspicuous as possible um which I, I don't know. I don't I don't think that that's really enhancing the themes of what he's doing, except for maybe an unsane. Right. Because that's maybe a little bit more voyeuristic. Yeah. Um, high flying bird. I don't I don't know that I see it. Agree to disagree. Last question for you. Behind the candelabra isn't intimate. I isn't. I mean, it's about uh, Matt Damon and um, Liberace. Yeah, Liberace, it's like a, yeah, it's about their gay relationship. I would consider that very intimate. Okay, well, you said that you didn't <laughs> think that he'd made anything as intimate or as human as Sex, or Sense and Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And to me, like, oh, yeah, that's that still movie and Unsane are, like, very close. You know, I mean, Unsane's a different type of intimacy, but um, the, the way that we spend time with her as she goes insane, that we don't spend with Rooney Mara when she goes insane... Um, it's just a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a genre piece. It's, it's more about the thrill than the character. Um, 100%. I mean, I I couldn't tell you anything I remember about Claire Boyd's character in that movie. I remember the look of the iPhone. Um, and I remember in such detail, Andy McDowell and James Spader, um, in Sex Lies and Videotape. Which is funny, because the first time I saw that movie, I didn't care for it all that much. Second time around, I was like, what what happened? I don't know. I love it now. Um, Peter Gallagher, too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe I just need to see him a second time, since that has happened before. Let's watch all of Soderbergh this year twice. Let's not. (laughs) I try. 
All right, mine will probably be a little bit quicker because there won't be as many bones to be picked. Um, my path back to excellence choice is Brian De Palma. I told you we'd talk about him a little bit later, and we are. He needs more attention. He needs more people around him propelling him forward. He's not Francis Ford Coppola. He can't go make something that people hate that's actually good, like Coppola can with Twixt. What he made is actively bad. It's actively not good, and it's actively almost good. So all he needs is the right fine-tuners around him, is my thinking. My pitch on what that specifically is, is getting a film with an executive producer credit added. First one says Paul Thomas Anderson. Second name, Brad Pitt. Production company, Plan B Productions. If I think that if you get those two people that love film so much, Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the biggest fans of Brian De Palma. One of the biggest fans in filmmaking that always brings up De Palma as an influence to him. Um, and you can actively see it. I, I think that if you get those two guys that love movies, that love telling stories, together with a guy that loves movies and telling stories, that is immensely capable, that just needs a little bit of oversight, um, that's respectful from peers, um, and not bad studio notes, but like really intriguing studio notes, I think that you can get a lot more. And I, I think that it, the world would be a better place for it. I cannot argue with that. Um, any idea if he has something else in the works after this one did not go so well? I know he has screenplays in pre-production. I Last I checked, there were three or four. Um, so you never know with stuff like that. Sometimes there's a, a screenplay that just sits in pre-production on IMDb that keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, I think I've heard that he had a commercial deal um, mm-hmm. to make some commercials. That wouldn't be a bad in-between to get some reps, um, to make something shiny that sells. Uh, but I, I would, I, I want him to lean back into doing crazy stuff with really good oversight or really good collaborators. Yeah. I think, uh, it was more last year that we did a couple Brian De Palma films, right? Mm-hmm. We did uh dress to kill blowout blowout. Um, I, yeah, I, I love De Palma. I really want to see a kind of return to form. Right. Um, I really did too. That's why Domino was my number seven anticipated film on the year. Um, Dang it. But I messed up. And uh, yeah, let's get on to your number eight. What's your eighth favorite film of the year, Michael? My number eight is one I saw within the last uh, week. It is the Safdie Brothers follow-up to the 2017 movie Good Time. Give me another shot. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black Joe Power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family. I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. You know how that makes me feel? Never resurface I don't know who said that. And that is Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler. Um, Adam Sandler plays a jeweler in new york city 
um, with a with a hell of a gambling habit. Um, uh, this movie uh, for me was both exasperating and exhilarating. Um, I found it no um, even more restlessly propulsive than Good Time. Um, uh, I, I I I love the tension. I think Adam Sandler is aggravating but hilarious. Um, I think this style is one of the more distinctive of any up and coming American directors right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the score, which we'll talk about a little more later. Um, it's uh, the the most thrilling movie I saw uh this year and uh i can't wait to see it again when i when i finished it i was out of breath it's a common feeling i understand the second time you see it though it's very different because you already know what's going to happen so it's it's a uh it's a train that's out of control but it's not going to the point where the pistons are breaking we'll say You're still like, holy crap, but you get to appreciate more. Um, and I, I actually came up on it on, on rewatch when it was slowed down for me. I understand a lot of people aren't, but that's seeing it the second time and making sure I wasn't just being led, but there's actually meat there. Um, and marrow to it, uh, was really helpful. Uh, Julia Fox deserves every little bit being talked about for her. She's not going to come up for my best supporting actress, nor is she going to come up for yours. Um, but a lot more attention needs to be paid to her. If she was played by any sort of a mainstream actress, I don't care who, it could range from Amy Adams to Jennifer Lawrence, um, she would be getting attention. Um, And she's not, which is really annoying because it's one of the best performances I've seen by an actress. Um, The intro scene um, is awesome. It takes place in Africa. Shortly after that, we get our title card sequence. Um, which starts with us going into a diamond and ends with us coming out of a, a rectum. Um, at the end, it starts with us going into something else that I don't want to spoil and um, coming out into space and gravity and credits and expansiveness. Those are my favorite transitions for title cards I've seen all year. All yeah. year. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I've seen some people kind of wrestling with um, this cosmic wonder that they're trying to um, bring with that intro sequence and the outro sequence. To me, I think I see it as a little bit of a fake out. That's just the ingestion of the drug that you're going to feel for the next two hours or so. And then that final release into space is there. Um, generous bit of a come down. Um, I, I don't know that I, I see this as um, uh, existential as some people might be kind of trying to find in those sequences. Um, but uh, mm, I, I maybe I'll feel different. I agree. I think it's just plain beautiful. Yeah. Like as far as visual effects in cinema, like it's just beautiful. And the transition that takes place of where you're at, what you go into, what you come out of, is just awesome. It's just cool. They're just, they're making New York gangster movies, and I love it. They are two, actually, they're three for three for me. Um, You know, I think the the comparison is to um, 
good time, obviously. Um, but I think heaven knows what um, is, is very much in the same register. I think the look is still really distinctive. They're all, you know, super gritty, but they all, you know, have this real attention to color. Um, I, you know, think some indie directors have kind of run away with neon lighting. Um mm-hmm in a way that isn't always super appealing. That can be a little like a, like a four letter last name type of a oh, director. I think he is a, is a cause of that interest <laughs> for sure. Um, but I, I, I love how kind of organically they, uh, include all that color. Um, love the cinematography in this movie. Um, I was a little nervous because I love the cinematography in those last two movies. Um, uh, from Sean Price Williams, one of my favorite cinematographers, he stepped out for this one. It's Darius Kanji here who did like Last City of uh, Z and, uh, you know, t- tons of great looking movies. Um, and I think it still looks very distinctively like a Safdie Brothers movie. I feel like I can immediately recognize their style. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's visual entirely. There's something that I can't put my finger on that feels softy. And it's somewhere between me being stressed and me going, ooh, pretty. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, it's um, characters that are hard to love, from uh, the drug addict addicts in Heaven Knows What to Connie, Robert Pattinson's character in Good Time. Very unlikable. Um, I don't think um, they are being willfully provocative with their unlikable protagonist, though. I think no. that's a, you know, a complaint that everyone has with Joker. Um, yeah. right. Is that it feels del- so deliberately trying to push your buttons. I think they are interested in just, um, watching these people, um, telling us a story about them, maybe opening a door, um, to empathizing with them. But I think they understand if we, um, find them tough to be around. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been hearing any of the noise around, um, their comparison to Sorsese? Uh, yeah, I have seen that. I think and that's I think, a really interesting, maybe accurate one. Where I mean, their filmography doesn't line up, but they're definitely making these gritty, really nuanced, really well-informed New York neighborhood movies that are uncompromising to other people's vision and wholly their own. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it makes sense to me. Um, the the propulsiveness of their movies to me is so not like Scorsese, where he literally lets his scenes breathe. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's there's something to be said for the connection there. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, where are we at? We are at number eight. What's your number eight movie of the year? My number eight movie of the year is not a movie. Cheater! My number eight on the year is an Amazon Prime streaming uh, selection, you could say. I, I don't know that there will be a season two. Um, there's currently no news. Um, I checked Rosa Salazar's IMDb. No news there. I'm seeing my dead father. I wasn't in an accident. I was killed. And he's training me to travel in time. With your ability, we can change what happened. So I can save him from being murdered. Uh... It is called Undone. It stars Rosa Salazar. It stars Bob Odenkirk. It has quite a few other folks, but it's essentially a Richard Linklater live action cartoon painted in post television show. It is about a woman who gets into a car accident while she's wrestling with 
the meaning of her life and whether or not it means anything and if she should go through a breakup and a, a lot of other complicated family stuff. And in this car accident, she becomes, she in that moment sees her dead father, played by Bob Odenkirk. And then when she wakes up in the hospital, she has a ability to experience time non-linearly. Uh, and the way that the story proceeds from there, the way that it ends, are just wonderful experiences that I do not want to spoil for anyone. Uh, if this at all sounds like your thing, absolutely see it. It's also technically a directorial debut. However, it is not a film, so it, it doesn't qualify for that when we talk about it later. But um, I, I believe, who I already forget his name. He's, I believe, from the Netherlands. But um, this would be probably my number two selection for uh, best uh, directorial debut of the year. It's one director across all the episodes. Mm -hmm. That is nice. You don't always see that with television. Holistic vision. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. I think, you know, Mindhunter maybe had three across. I was always kind of impressed with how consistent that style was. It's always very exciting to see someone um, own it from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's just because Fincher wasn't making anything else and just made sure that all the vision was the same and was more of a script supervisor. Uh, so the name of this director was Hisko Hulsing, and he's known as an artist um, previously, but um, I'd like to see him make more motion art. One I still need to catch up with. On to which stars were born in the year of 2019? I have a pretty good track record. Let's see if you can hit one big this year, Michael. <laughs> All right. We have uh, one actor and one actress apiece. Mm-hmm. I'll start with actress, if that works for you. That works. Both of mine are great selections. I'm going to win awards with mine. How about you? An actress who was new to me this year is Taylor Russell in the film Waves from Trey Edward Schultz, a movie I really liked. Um, will not be on my top ten, but it might as well it might as well have been. Um, we might talk about it again. Yes. Um, it's challenging to talk about the structure of the film without giving too much away, but it's a family drama um, about a family in Florida who's um, uh, goes through an unimaginable tragedy. It sounds like I'm describing a Ari Aster movie, um, but uh, this is this is not horror. This is drama, and Taylor Russell um, uh, is um, in the drama part of the film. I would disagree. I would say that there's a little bit of horror to Waves. It's fair. And there's a different person that we'll talk about who's in those sections. I'll I'll talk about him shortly. Um, But she has a large role in this movie, and I was um, just really kind of blown away by the sensitivity of the the performance. Um, the, The scene that keeps coming to mind when I think about why I was so taken with her was in a scene with her father. I think we talked about it. I'm sure we did. The fishing scene? The the fishing scene. That's my favorite scene. She's at um, a lake sitting on a bench with her dad and um, I wouldn't say who, I guess, but she's she's describing someone very close to her 
and she uses the word evil to describe the person. Um, and I, gosh, I keep thinking about that scene and how the tone of her voice um, suggests she is both so appalled and also heartbroken. so heartbroken, yeah. so sad. Her voice cracks. Um, yeah. Um, there's, there's just these kind of competing emotions in this single um, pitch um, in, mm-hmm. in these few sentences she has that to me is like kind of like the the point of the whole movie, which is about like how hard it is to um, to have those kinds of feelings conflict so violently after something awful has happened. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not sure what she has in the works next, but um, I was wildly impressed and uh, I'm eager to see more. She was also in another film last year. Uh, it was called Escape Room. Oh, I did. I did hear that. It I did was not terrible. She's in Escape Room 2. So mm. be ready for her to pull a little bit of a Jessica Roth and, and have mm. some bad movies come out while she puts together this stellar career. Um, so my Stars Were Born Actress, which hit it big this last year, uh, my previous selection, uh, I'm hoping will hit it big again. This actress's name is India Isley. She was in a uh, limited series and has had more than a few different film roles. Um, but she she plays a very complex character, um, gets a lot of breathing time on the screen. Um, and she really convinced me with um, her groundedness. Uh, similar to Taylor Russell, she she has a, an empathetic ability with her speech and with her entire body to convey um how she's feeling to the screen do you know if she has anything else in the works she certainly does i don't know it off the top of my head yeah all right actor the actor who i was particularly impressed by this year is also in waves what what crazy is he in another movie that we really like too sure is was it called loose it sure is uh the actor is kelvin harrison jr um i liked both of these movies quite a bit loose is also not in my uh top 10 list but i i I liked it a great deal he's been around a little while um he, he was sure in has trey edward schultz's last film um it comes at night he was in 12 years of slave i think mm-hmm. um he's been in some other things that i think i've seen before but this to me feels like a breakout year um with these two performances um he wasn't in ma was he i don't think so okay um in loose he plays a high school student who is as charismatic as he is conniving and uh the smile he wields against his parents and his teacher played by octavia spencer um is just kind of maddening in that you can't quite figure out what what kind of angle he's taken against you um and uh in waves um he plays a teenager um, falling into a bit of a downward spiral mm-hmm. um, and is equally captivating for me there. Um, I uh, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I like both of these performances a great deal. Um, uh, I think he has uh, exciting stuff ahead of him. You know what your stars were born selections tell me? What's that? That uh, a star's already been born, and his name is Trey Edward Schultz. Something to be said for that, for sure. My actor selection this year is Jonathan Majors from The Last Black Man in San Francisco. He's got a bunch of other random credits from um, acting in plays to um, street performances to interpretive art stuff to movies. And his performance um, in The Last Black Man in San Francisco is one of the most heartbreaking, human, deeply emotional, um, movie-carrying performances I've seen all year. And he, to me, is the next great actor um, that we just haven't seen the body of work from. I have no doubt he can do anything that any other actor can do from Adam Driver to Brad Pitt. I just have zero qualms about if he has the time, I believe in his method of preparation, what we get out of him is going to be beautiful art. And I'd love to see him collaborate with someone like Spike Jones. I'd love to see him collaborate with someone like Spike Lee. I'd love to see him in almost any auteurs film. It's a great pick. I did not love that movie, but uh, definitely thought it was a great performance. It's one slot out of my top 10. It's number 11. So it's nice to talk about it here. On to number seven. What do you got, Michael? My number seven movie of the year is... Long Day's Journey into Night. That's a great movie. It has Catherine Hepburn in it. Don't confuse people. (laughs) That is false. This is the sophomore feature from the Chinese filmmaker uh, Be Gone. Uh, His first feature was Kylie Blue's. Um, this is uh, a similar kind of film poem, if you will. Um, it is told achronologically. Um, it is um, a bit of a, an homage to film noir with some references to Tarkovsky mixed in. Um, it's about a guy um, returning to his small hometown in China where he uh, once was in love with a girl and a good friend of his um, was killed. Um I think this is um, first and foremost, you know, just a formal pleasure for me, much less so than it is, um, you know, a um, work of narrative. I think many people are frustrated by um, its uh, non-linear narrative. Um, At least a single person. There you go. Um, But, uh, you know, I think he's interested in abstract ideas, so an abstract form makes sense. He's interested in kind of the texture of dreams. This is the movie that has this infamous, uh, you know, 50-some minute long take that takes up the uh, part of the second half of the movie. Um, He's interested in film itself. Um, To me, this is just the the right fit of form and content because these are um, sort of hard things to really pin down. And the narrative shouldn't be. And, and you have to, you know, be the kind of person who can kind of go with that. Um, 
you're yawning, so I don't think it's your kind of thing. Um, but uh, to me, it's um, it's formally quite uh, dazzling, and um, it's one of the few films I saw twice this year, and it stayed right about where it did the first time around. Um, I actually think the, the story itself is surprisingly simple on second viewing, and you kind of start to see what this would look like if it was told linearly. And... Um, yeah, it's, it's still just as pleasurable, um, of a watch. Um, that is, uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night, uh, available for rental now, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, on to my number seven, something a little bit more unanimous. You're not afraid of tough guys, are you? I didn't think so. I was one of a thousand working stiffs. Until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. The Irishman from Martin Sorsese. Performances, subtext, uh, self-reflection recurs again as a theme between both of us. Uh, this film is unlike almost any other Sorsese film I've ever seen in the um, macabre way that it is presented. The voiceover um, adds a weird layer as we see actions being taken, um, whether or not the character in the scene feels regret for the actions the character in that scene later does and hearing that happen um was really heart-wrenching the ability to use the special effects the way that they did with joe pesci with al pacino with robert de niro was everything that the film required um the fact that he is almost always narrating about how he thinks about himself now from the perspective of his daughter is one of the most heartbreaking things that keeps the the movie in the front of my mind. Um, I know a lot of people have a problem with uh, Anna Packin's seven lines. To me, the entire film is about her and the fact that she only said seven words to him in it uh, speaks everything to the complex emotions in the film. I, I really went for this one um in a way that i didn't quite go for silence and haven't gone for a few of sorsese's movies for some time i think the last one i really loved was probably hugo i'm surprised i thought uh we had talked about a mutual liking of silence i guess not i i I mean i i dig it It, but like love you know like the last movie i really loved from sorsese which is kind of you know he backed himself into a corner where it's like if i don't love it it's an insult if i give you a 93 it's boo (laughs) well uh we will come back to it It, maybe several times i think i i can certainly think of a few instances uh but now we are on to the top three ensembles why don't you start us off with your number three my number three top ensemble of the year is what I think is the most critically acclaimed movie of the year. Full-time, so what's Is it okay with you? 
Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, um, a South Korean film set in South Korea about a uh, um, lower-class family who wiggles its way into the lives of a much wealthier family. Um, And um, catastrophe ensues. Uh, I think people are plenty familiar with Parasite at this point. I won't describe the plot. Yeah, there's not really any. It's a movie about money. Right. No doubt. Um, But, uh, you know. And a rock. The the direction is so ridiculously precise um, that, to me, it's like, it's almost easy, easy to overlook how I think consistent these performances are across the board um just because the filmmaking is so great um but i I really uh think everyone here is is um uh giving great performances um and you know i i tend to um i think i tend to lean towards family related movies when i think of ensembles just like do they give me that sense of these people you know who really make up a family Mm -hmm. um sometimes you just you don't get that sense. They all feel like individuals who, you know, have been put together and you just don't sense that chemistry. Um, and I think I 100% felt that, um, here, you know, these two parents, um, wishing they could provide, um, better lives for their, um, kids. And then a son in particular wanting in the end to, um, provide, um, uh, a certain kind of life for his father. Um, I don't know. I think uh, the performances really just um, add up to uh, something pretty great. I would agree. Um, I, I do definitely feel a little bit of acting happening between them all. Like they definitely, f- they, they don't quite feel unanimous at some level for me. Oh, um, I totally felt that. And it was, I mean, the first time I, I would have been totally with you, but it's that second time when the movie went from being my number two movie on the year and being perfect to me dropping it quite a bit because without, once again, like Uncut Gems, without the pace, without not knowing, um, it just didn't quite hit me as hard. It just stopped being a banger and it was just a good hit. Um, anyways, on to my number three with an even better selection of family. So I'll tell Charlie what's happening, and Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean, like take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Gina! Charlie Bird! (laughs) Mom? (laughs) Mom? What? Marriage story. We got Scarlett Johansson. We got Laura Dern. We uh, we have Adam Driver. Um, we have Ray Liotta. We have Merritt Weaver. We have a mom who I don't recall the name of. We have that one actor from Princess Bride who I also do not recall the name of. And tons of other great performers, whether they're New York, um, you know, uh, live performances or um, just kind of some supporting stuff that happens around Scarlett's trailer when she's... Um, getting her film career going. Uh, This, I think, is one of the only times we're going to be talking about Marriage Story, um, unfortunately. And it is an excellent, beautiful movie that I think is in my top 15. I don't know if it's in yours. I don't think it's in my top 30. Wow. You really didn't care for this one then, huh? I did. I did like it. Um, I thought thought it was okay. Um, 
I thought it was okay. It was a, a, Burn. a great year um, for a film called Marriage Story. I thought the story was just a little underwhelming for me, but I think the performances are oh, Alan Alda, a great feature. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really responded well to this. Um, and it's unfortunate that we're only talking about it here, but it's got a long awards trajectory to go. So on to your number two. My number two ensemble is. <laughs> All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ensemble here made up by Margot Robbie. Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Margaret Qualley, Bruce Dern. I almost didn't have this on my list until you reminded me. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course this should be on here. Timothy uh, Elephant. Yeah. It's easy to for me to just think about these three central characters, Brad Pitt, Margaret Robbie, and DiCaprio. And I was Lena like... Lena Dunham, Al Pacino. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, well, that maybe doesn't feel quite big enough for into the category. But, yeah, I mean, they're... Um, Really, um, there are Elf, a lot no, of Dakota here. Fanning. Yeah, um, everybody on Spawn Ranch, basically, mm-hmm. and um, uh, yeah, I and think Leo's they all, eventual life was fantastic. Yeah, I think they do add up to this uh, cohesive portrait of um, Hollywood in '69 um, and all the the different um, types um, in Hollywood. Um, Little spoiler alert: my number two is also Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, this is so efficient. This is this is we interesting. Should, oh, this is one really of the only more often. Yeah. <laughs> we agreed. Is the sky falling? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, other than all the actors I brought up, I don't really have too much more to contribute. Um, I think that we might be talking about this again later. So we'll we'll bust more guts then. You're number one. My number one ensemble is The Irishman. Um, Boo, I hate that movie. No good. That didn't make your list, did it? Nope. Didn't just talk about it. <laughs> it just feels like we've been here a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, this just wouldn't be what it is without the performances. Um, I'm going to keep this one short. I think it just kind of speaks for itself. People will have seen Irishman. Um, Harvey, Pacino, Pesci, De Niro is good. Doing work. My number one is a film that, thank goodness, we'll be talking about in a little bit. Um, And that film is... If you couldn't dance, what would you do? Mm, Hmm... Suicide? Gaspar Noé's Climax. This is a movie that technically came out internationally in 2018, but it did not get any American release till 2019, and then it hit theaters in March. 
So this is my favorite uh, ensemble piece. It's not specifically for acting, although the acting is amazing. It is more for the full-bodied performances of the dancers and their um, ability to physically inhabit a space and make me feel, in conjunction with the camera, the very eccentric, complex, and volatile things that I felt during that film. Yeah, uh, I support that pick. Um, I didn't like that movie as much, but that group of people does feel like this kind of convulsing organism Mm -hmm. as the movie goes. Um, I like it. Uh, we're on to number six. What is your number six, Michael? My number six is... In Elephant Sitting Still, written directed by Hu Bo. This is a Chinese film. Um, you know, both these episodes are going to be shorter than that movie. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I think this was the longest movie I saw this year, excluding Finding Neverland, which is a two-parter, so that doesn't really count. Yeah. Uh, An Elephant Sitting Still clocks in at around three hours and 50 minutes, I want to say. Just it's under, really shy good. Just four hours. Um, but, uh, you know, as I put in my notes after I saw it, I was not ready to leap up from my seat when it ended um i thought it was um a tough tough watch because it is about people who are so full of despair but i think this is a really really incredibly made film um it's the story of four different people in china whose paths um intertwine um there is an elderly retired man whose grown-up son wants him to move into a retirement home There is a teenage boy who pushes a bully at his school down a staircase and severely injures him. There is another teenage girl who is sleeping with a faculty member at that same school. And there is the older brother of the bully who gets pushed down the staircase. And each of these characters um, is uh, filled with a kind of hopelessness um, for, for... different reasons kind of unique to each of them um but that also kind of have something in common something of a just kind of um a a kind of existential despair Mm -hmm. um and it's comprised mostly of long takes um that to me just feel so perfect for the content um these people feel like um, they're constantly just being kind of crushed with sadness. And these just kind of feel like waves to me that they're um, each kind of getting slammed with and that just keep coming. Um, oddly enough, I do think this is kind of a hopeful movie in its ending. I do too. Um, and um, that's part of why we didn't want to get up. We yeah, wanted to see, yeah. you know, this kid Absolutely. picked up a rock. He's playing with it now. This is totally different than the last four hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, without that, I, I don't know that it would be there. But I think uh, there is just that fleck of hope um, that makes all the difference in the end. Mm-hmm. 
That's what makes yeah. it a Chinese film, not a Russian one. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh, um, unfortunately, we can't see another film from this filmmaker um, due to his untimely suicide. Um, but anybody can watch this movie now, rental, I believe. I believe that is correct. At, okay. at the very least, you can order the DVD. Yeah. All right. On to my number six. And it's a number six that will likely not be on anyone else's lists. So lucky you, Michael. You get to deal with me. And my eccentric pick is... Joe Pena. Um, this film stars Mads Mikkelsen in a role where he talks less than a minute and 30 seconds, probably in the entire film. Um, maybe two minutes. He, he does uh, do some grumbling. I don't know that I would call it clear spoken talking. Um, and he certainly does a lot of uh, shouting. This is an adventure survival horror picture that visually communicates its story. Um, I have a real soft spot for legitimate adventure films. Um, I enjoy classics like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea quite a bit. I enjoy the Sinpad adventures. They're, I think, some of the greatest creature features, um, special effects-wise, that we've ever um, laid witness to. And this is certainly a different one, but the ability to tell a story only with visuals um, and use an adventure story with an actor of such great caliber. Um, it just kind of took me over. I think I saw it in February or late January of uh, 2019. Um, I was the only person in the theater as far as I can remember. Um, and it was in a theater. It was just a random movie that I hadn't heard about. And I went in and I was in a dark room alone in the Arctic, and I loved it. I just rewatched it yesterday to make sure that it belongs here, and it absolutely does. I would urge anyone with a prime option that wants to sit down and pay attention, not get on your phone for an hour and a half, tune into Arctic. It won't disappoint. That brings us to the end of part one of our 2019 in review. Of our very in? short 2019 in review. We did so much more talking than Madden's Mickelson. So much more we talking. D- we did about an hour and 20 minutes more talking. More to come. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.